0: Well, welcome once again to our continuing series on heroes. Um, have, you, have you enjoyed this series this, during this summer? Yeah, yeah it's, it's been, I'll tell you, for those of us who have been preaching, it's been a privilege, it's been a joy uh, for Pastor Brandon and for Tina Marie, um, Steve Reed in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's, it's just been a joy for us to look at these Old Testament characters and see how that God has used them as heroes of the faith. Today we're looking at a brand new hero. Her name is Ruth, and she is called a loyal hero. This little book, and it is a little book, just four short chapters, is nestled between Judges and 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. And it has been called by many the greatest piece of literature ever written. Another author called the story of Ruth, the Cinderella of the Bible. When Benjamin Franklin was uh, ambassador of France, he attended what we called, what they called the Infidels Club. And it was a group of, um, of uh, people who thought they were smarter than everybody else and people who didn't want to think anything about faith or God or religion. But what they did love to do is find literary masterpieces and read them together and talk about them, the Infidels Club. Benjamin Franklin was a part of this. So on one occasion, Franklin read the book of Ruth to the club. Now he changed the name so it wouldn't be recognized. And when he finished, the scholars were unanimous in their praise. This was one of the most beautiful short stories they had ever heard. What piece of art is this? What piece of scholarship is this? And Benjamin Franklin was thrilled to tell them that it was written in the Bible. So this morning, I want to read uh, to you part of this story. Now, we won't have time to read all four verses today. We'll read parts of each chapter. and uh, But remember to go home and read this for yourself. Um, this is one of the real treasures of the Bible. Uh, what's remarkable is if you were to... And again, I haven't read Hebrew since I was in seminary. But when you read this in Hebrew, there is a, there's a, a, a tenor and a tempo... And a beauty about this that is remarkable. Scholars have said for 2,000 years, actually 6,000 years since this was written, scholars have said this is remarkable in the way it is written. This is a story of faith. It's a story of a woman, Ruth, who experienced a brand new God. And in her experiencing this God, her life was changed. So I'd like to begin by reading from Ruth chapter 1. I'll be reading the first 19 verses. And as I do, I'd like you to just hear this story and let the the words just flow over you. Now, we don't have enough room in the bulletin to write out the entire text. We just wrote out the first five verses, but the text will be on the screen. And I want to remind you at this point in the service to what? To read your Bibles. Um, What a remarkable book. And this little book, uh, you know, like I said before, uh, nestled between Judges and 1 Samuel, is a great story of faith. So hear the word of God to the people of God um, from uh, Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem of Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab taking his wife and two sons with him. Now, Moab was the enemy territory. About a week's ride, maybe a hundred miles from Judah, but these were enemies. This was enemy territory. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephaphthrites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah. No, that's not Oprah. And it's not Orca. It's it's Orpah. And the other woman was named what? Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilian died. Their husbands, these young women, their husbands died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. So three widows. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. So as they were traveling back to Judah... Uh, Naomi, it dawned on her, okay, now these two young women have never been out of Moab. They've never been away from their mothers. Uh, they've never been away from their countrymen. And yet I'm dragging them off to Judah. I, that's just not right. So she said, I release you. You've done a great job by loving my sons. But you need to go back to your mothers and live your life back in your native country. And so we pick it up at verse 10. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not. My daughters, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together. And Orpah kissed her mother in law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said, your sister in law has gone back to her people and her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, Now this reply is one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. If you've ever been to a Christian wedding, you've heard this spoken many, many times. Listen to what Ruth said to her mother-in-law. Now remember, Ruth is far away from her country. Uh, Her her friend, uh, uh, you know, has already gone back to Moab. And yet here is Ruth with Naomi. And listen to what Ruth says to Naomi. But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you or turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The woman asked. And then the text goes on, and we'll look at that a little bit further in a moment. This is one of the most remarkable love stories. And it's more than a love story. It's a loyal love story. And in this story, we'll see as we open up the text, and I'll have to paraphrase a good amount of it. As we see this, we're going to see three really distinct messages that God has for us today, thousands of years after this story was written. So let's look at what the story is about. So the events take place during the time when uh, judges ruled Israel, before there were any kings. Um, It might have been when Gideon was actually ruling. This was a time of rebellion and disobedience for the Israelites. Now, the pattern for the Israelites has always been the same, and you'll recognize this pattern probably in your own life as well. Here's what the pattern was. Deliverance, thank you, Lord, you delivered us. Disobedience, God, we don't want to do it your way anymore. Defeat, and that's no good. And then deliverance. God says, I save, I redeem, I come and help you again. And so this was the pattern of the Israelites and for many of us as Christ followers today, a pattern in our lives. Deliverance, disobedience, defeat, and deliverance once again. The setting opens up in Bethlehem where there is a tremendous famine. Um, Most of the Israelites were suffering. Many of them died from this famine. So Elimelech decided that he was going to take his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, Malon and Killian, and move to Moab. Now, Moab was enemy territory. As I said earlier, about 100 miles away, about a week's journey. But Elimelech said, you know what? If I don't get my family out of Judah, they're going to starve to death, and I would never forgive myself. So even though we're going to the enemy's territory, we need to go there and try and build a new life. During their stay in Moab, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, passed away. And then, ten years later, both sons, Malan and Kilian, die as well. These two sons married Moabite women by the name of Orpah and Ruth. And now all three of these women, Naomi and the two young girls, Orpah and Ruth, are all widows. How are they going to survive In the ancient Near East, women had no status on their own. If you didn't have a father or a brother or a husband that watched out for you, you had absolutely no chance of having any kind of a life. That's why so many women turned to prostitution. They had no ability on their own because of the way that society was, this tribalistic society, they had no ability to live their own lives. And so here we have three widows. How are they possibly supposed to survive? Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth are now widows. In the ancient world, they had no social status. They had no economic means to survive. Now this would especially be true for Naomi. Why? Because Naomi was an Israelite living in a foreign country, living in Moab. There was no social security system, and there was no male protector or provider for these women. In such a situation, um, widows back then would equate to those who were homeless in our society today. Those who are homeless, but not by choice. And that was the position of these three women. How were they to survive? Well, God has made a provision in the Old Testament for the poor. In fact, there's always been a provision for the poor. Here was the provision that he made. This You can read this back in the book of Deuteronomy. So when you have a field and you're harvesting your field, the instructions were never to harvest the edges of the field. If you, and, and, and the poor people then were allowed to come in and take that as their food. So it was a provision made. About 10% of the crop was left for poor people. If you had a vineyard, you were not allowed to go a second time into the vineyard and get all the grapes. The second time, the people that went in afterwards were the poor people, and that was for sustenance for them. If there were grapes on the ground, you were not allowed to pick those up, but only the first time and only picking the grapes from the vines. This was a way that people were able to survive in their day. And so we find Naomi, and we find Ruth, and Orpah, and we find these people all together now, and uh, uh, they have no ability to live, except God provides a way. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. He was like a distant cousin. One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. So that explains the provision that was made for poor people and for women that had no resources. Okay, Ruth said, listen. I don't have any way to, you know, take care of myself. How about if I go out and I harvest some of the edges and some of the grain that was left behind? And uh, Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, Who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the woman replied, She was the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter. Stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting, and then follow them. And I have warned the young men to not treat you roughly. In other words, leave her alone. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under those whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Isn't that beautiful? So this man notices a young, pretty woman, and recognizes, okay, now, who's taking care of her? Who does she belong to? Who's her father? Who's her husband? Well, she has nobody. She came back from Moab. She was a Moabite. She came back, and she's now kind of under the care of Naomi, but Naomi has nothing, right? She has no field. She has no resources because her husband died and a woman could never own property. So she had no resources. Ruth had no resources. It was a, it was, it was a terrible situation for them. Along comes this wonderful, kind man, Boaz. Little long in the tooth a little bit, uh, you know, maybe uh, older than anybody would have expected, but he was a kind man, and he was a significant landowner. And then look at what we read in verse 20. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. The man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Now, if you um, grew up in the days that I did with the King James Bible and all of that, this is translated most often in most translations as, anybody want to say what? A kinsman redeemer. Now, let me explain what a kinsman redeemer was. A kinsman redeemer was another uh, part of the law that God added because of the sinfulness of men and women. Because God never intended for these women to have no resources He instituted, uh, you can find this again in the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy, he instituted this idea of a kinsman redeemer. Here's what it looked like. So you have a woman like Naomi that when her husband died, she has no property. Okay? And for an Israelite, property is everything. Uh, In fact, um, God provided... Uh, a, uh, to each tribe of Israel, a section of land, and then that land was given off to different families. And when um, uh, Naomi lost her husband, when Elimelech died, she lost her property. So she has no, now no ability to live, no ability to have resources. In addition to that, she brought two foreigners from Moab, or she brought one foreigner from Moab to take care of, and there's no one there to take care of. Them. So this process that's called kinsman redeemer was this. So if you were a woman and you had no ability to have property, own property, your husband died, they put this provision in as a kinsman redeemer. The next closest relative to your dead husband has the privilege, if he wants, to come and to buy that property back and give it to the woman, marry the woman, and then hopefully she will bear a son, and that will keep the property in her family. So it gives a woman the ability to get married again, have a son, and then have her sons own the property, and that would stay in the family for generation after generation after generation. Now, this happened for Israelite women. It never happened for foreign women. But out of the kindness of the heart of Boaz, recognizing that this woman not only had nothing like Naomi, she also was a foreigner and had no ability to have a kinsman redeemer, Boaz provided that covering for this woman. It's a beautiful and amazing story of God's love. And so we read the next section of Scripture, uh, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So part of the story that uh, uh, we kind of missed out here is that um, Boaz uh, fell asleep in uh, this area where he was, uh, 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 you know, cleaning up his his, his crops and uh, this threshing floor. He fell asleep. Naomi said, listen, Ruth, go in there, lie at his feet. This isn't a sexual thing. Lie at his feet, allow his covering to cover you, and then when he wakes up, say, hey, listen, I'm asking you if you'll be my kinsman redeemer. Now, here's something interesting. Women had no place, no status, yet this provision that God made about a kinsman redeemer, you could only have a kinsman redeemer if the woman asked for it. So some guy just couldn't come up and say, hey, I'm a relative, I'm going to take care of you. It didn't happen that way. The woman, even though she has no status, God gave her the ability to say, would you be my kinsman redeemer? And so it's basically like, like you know, you're asking someone to marry you. And so Boaz woke up. He was kind of startled. Who is that? You know, Boaz was worried about any kind of sexual improprieties because his mother was Rahab and, well, we kind of know what happened with Rahab. And so Boaz was kind of worried about all that. But he woke up and here's Ruth and, she said, and he said, yes, my daughter, I, I will cover you. And um, it's a beautiful picture of this covering. So listen to the text as we read it in um, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor woman said, Now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of who? Of David. Isn't this a beautiful story? So Boaz, out of the kindness of his heart, when he was asked to be a kinsman redeemer for a woman who's not even an Israelite, he says yes. And his covering, he said, may your covering be like the covering that Jehovah has for his children. So it's like she's not only being redeemed financially and redeemed fiscally, but she's being redeemed spiritually. Naomi had shared her God With Ruth. She said, I want you to know my God. And Ruth said at one point, I'm going to follow you anywhere and I want your people to be my people. What else did she say? I want your God to be my God. No longer the Moabite pagan gods. I want your God, Jehovah, Yahweh, to be my God. Why? Because she showed showed such love and such generosity that Ruth said, that's a God I can follow. That's a God I can serve. Now, there's a lesson there for us. Now, this isn't even in the lessons I'm going to give you. This is just a free lesson. Okay, here's the lesson. The gospel is going to be spread by your love. Not by your condemnation, not by your finger pointing, not by saying the world is dark. No, the gospel is going to be spread by you loving people into the kingdom, you loving foreigners, people that are different from you, people that are odd, people that are other, loving them in such a way that they say, I want your God. That's what God wants for each other. Okay, that's just a freebie, okay? You don't have to pay any extra tithe for that. That's just absolutely, that's absolutely free. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here we have this amazing story. Boaz redeems her. And this, this, this protection comes over here. The protection that only the father can give. And now Boaz is giving that to Ruth. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Isn't that an amazing story? Now, from that story, there's three lessons I want to just tick off for you uh, out of this loyal love story. And I want you to recognize three things. So recognize, first of all, God's activity in your life. Recognize God's activity in your life. You know, too many of us are such lazy Christians. Uh, we, We go through life, and then situations come up that are difficult or challenging, And we try and work them out, and we worry, and we fret, and we stress, and we say, oh God, why me? And we do all of those things. And then somehow, some way, things work out and comes back to a point, and then we go back, oh yeah, I guess God really was at work during that time. We'd totally forgotten them, right? Because we were too busy stressing and worrying. But God was totally at work. Listen, one of the overarching themes of the book of Ruth is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God means that God is in control. God is in charge. He knows what he's doing. He is motivated out of love for you. He doesn't make mistakes. And he redeems every situation. You know the principle, Genesis 50, 20. What God, Joseph said to his brothers, what what you intended for bad, God intended for good. God's going to take every bad situation and make something good. Now imagine Ruth as an old woman. By now, she knows that her grandson is David, and she says, now, something's going on here. God's doing something, right? And ultimately, David becomes the lineage through which Jesus comes, right? So that's why Ruth is so important. By the way, this book, Ruth, is read in almost every uh, temple, every uh, Jewish uh, w- place of worship in the world. It's one of the things they read almost every week because it's a story of redemption. The sad part is, is that most Jews don't realize that their redemption is already here, right? In Jesus Christ. But they, believe, they are waiting for the Messiah and this is a great story of redemption. When is our uh, kinsman redeemer going to be here? When is our rescuer going to be here? When is the one that's gonna come and save us from our sins and save us from the oppression that we felt as Jewish people for 10,000 years? When is that going to happen? Well, it's already happened. Jesus Christ has come. He is our kinsman redeemer. And so we have this amazing story and God wants you to know that he is active in your life every day in every way and you need to start recognizing it. Ah, that's God. That's God that did that. He's in control. D.L. Moody, great preacher of 150 years ago. There's a a college in Chicago named after the Moody Bible Institute. Well, D.L. Moody used to have a little snow globe How many of you are old enough to remember a snow globe? Okay, thank you. Um, A little snow globe on his desk. And uh, that snow globe, so it's a little enclosed globe with water in it, and then there's some flecks of plastic or something that when you shake it up, it becomes very cloudy, and it's like it's snowing, right? And so in this snow globe, there's a little man standing there, and he's looking very peaceful, and all the snow is on the ground, so everything's clear. He sees perfectly well out of the snow globe. And D.L. Moody, when he used to get all kerfumpled and all uh, upset and all worried and everything, he would pick up that little snow globe, and he would shake it like this, and it would be all snowy and cloudy. And then he would talk to the little man just like God would talk to D.L. Moody. And this is what he'd say. Now, little man, I know that your world is turned upside down. And even go like this, you know, Right? I know that you can't see anything clearly. I know that all the circumstances of your life are cloudy and you don't know where God is and you don't know anything. I understand that little man, but little man, you need to know something and it's this. I've got a firm grip on you. And if you just let me long enough hold on to you, that snow is going to stop, the cloudiness is going to go away and you'll be once again to see clearly the God of your salvation. You'll be able to see the one who is holding on to your life, the one who is holding you long enough until all of the circumstances of your life subsides and finally give you some clarity and you see God. God is in control. Can you imagine Ruth as an old woman? She said, God, Jehovah, Yahweh, I can't believe how good you've been to me. You brought me out of Moab where we worshiped pagan gods. And Jehovah, I discovered your love for me through Naomi, and I'm so grateful that you love me and that I know the one true God. And God, I'm so thankful that you provided a woman like Naomi that would love me so well that I would be introduced to her God. And Father, what a wonderful God you are that you provided for me. A woman that had no resources, a foreign woman without any resources whatsoever, you provided me a kinsman redeemer. You provided me an offspring. And now all of my sons and my daughters and all of their offspring, all the way to my grandson David, will have this land, will be in possession of this land, and they will be in possession of my God. Thank you. Do you recognize that God is at work in your life. There's a story of a survivor of a shipwreck that landed on a small island that was uninhabited. When he got there, he was very, very afraid, as you would expect. And he said, God, help me, save me. When are you going to rescue me? And so day after day would go by and he would have less and less faith. And God, do you not hear me? Why I cry out and you don't hear me? And, and, and there would no, seem to be no sound. And so finally the guy kind of gave up. And he said, well, I'll build a little hut here. He had his few possessions. He put his possessions. While he was out hunting, somehow his hut caught on fire and burned to the ground. All there was was this wisp of smoke rising in the air. And he cursed God. God, why didn't you listen to me? Why didn't you rescue me? The next day, a ship approached this little island. They came and they rescued this man. They pulled him on board the ship. And he said, how on earth did you ever find me? They said, it was simple. It was the smoke signal he sent. How many times In the difficulties and the troubles of your world, say, God, if you would just solve things the way I want you to solve them, if you just fix all of these things, then everything would be okay. And it seems like you don't hear from God. But God, listen here, God is always involved in your life, always. John chapter five, verse 17, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. Do you know what the father and the son Jesus are working on? They're working on you. They're working on ways to love you and to redeem you and to bring you back to himself. He is always at work, and Jesus said, and I am always at work too. Don't you ever think that God has given up on you because he hasn't. Recognize God's activity in your life. Ruth did. We need to recognize it as well. The second thing is this. Recognize love in your life. Do you know love when you see it? Almost 45 years ago, I recognized love when I saw it. She was a 19-year-old co-ed, and I thought to myself, wow, that, that one needs to be mine, you know? And I recognized love. And 10 days later, I asked her to marry me. Children, put your earmuffs on. You shouldn't hear this. 10 days later, I asked her to marry. Five months later, we were married. And 45 years later, I love her more today than I've ever loved her. Do you recognize love in your life when you see it? Do you recognize God's love in your life when you see it? Ruth did. She recognized the power of Jehovah in her life through the ministry and and testimony of Naomi. She recognized the power of love and the covering of God through Boaz. She recognized love in her life. Recognized love. I remember so well. Um, After, when I was being ordained for the second time in February of 2000, I I just felt this overwhelming mercy and love that was just wrapped around me. Sherry was there, and my friends uh, Mick Murphy and Mark Larson, two of my advocates, and, and the board of ministry gathered around me, laying hands on me, and I just felt this absolute love of God, and I didn't deserve it. And neither do you. You don't deserve God's love, but do you recognize that it's all around you? Ruth did. Well, remember what I told you early on, what Stacy said on the phone back in April of 2000? Listen, you love us, We'll love you, and we'll just figure out the rest. What a great way to live your life. You tell your children that. Kids, you love us. We'll love you, and we'll teach you about Jesus, and and we'll just figure the rest out. What an amazing way to live our lives. Recognize love in your life. The last thing is this. Recognize your Redeemer. Recognize your Redeemer. Ruth did. She recognized her only hope. She had no ability on her own to save herself. She had no ability on her own to redeem her own life. She would have spent the rest of her life picking up stalks of grain that somebody else left behind. Probably wouldn't have ended up in prostitution. She had no Reese's on, but she recognized her Redeemer. And she laid at his feet, and she wouldn't move until he said, I'm in. I'm all in. Do you recognize your Redeemer? Do you recognize that Jesus Christ is your kinsman Redeemer? Do you realize that he paid the price for your sins? He didn't do your sins, you did. He paid the price for your sins and he said, I will be a covering. The shed blood of Jesus covers your sins. It washes them away. I will be a covering and I will be your God and you will be my son, you will be my daughter. I am your kinsman, Redeemer. One of the most beautiful pictures of that. And I've I've shared this with you before. One day, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. One day, all of us will. Now, there's a couple of things that will be going on then. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, if you have allowed Jesus Christ to be your kinsman redeemer, to redeem you of your sins, to pay for your sins, then Christ will be your Lord and Savior. If you stand before God without a redeemer, you'll be held responsible for every thought, word, and deed in your life. And why shouldn't you be? They're yours. Why shouldn't you be held responsible for all of those things? All the times you've hurt somebody else, all the times you've hurt God, all of those things you'll be held responsible. You'll be judged for those things. But… If you have a kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, and God is looking right in your face and saying, listen, did you do this? Did you do this? Yep, yep, that's me. I'm sorry. I blew it, you know. And God is about ready to post judgment on your life. And just before he does, Jesus Christ steps between you and the Father. And he said, this one's mine. This one's mine. Raja, this one's mine. Alyssa, this one's mine. Stacy, this one's mine. This one belongs to me. And so God looks at you, not through your sins, but through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He is your kinsman redeemer. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, a little while ago, I invited people to consider whether or not this was the day that they might say yes to you. And so this is my prayer this morning. Lord, in our sanctuary today, there are many people who love you and serve you and have embraced you, and they know that you are their redeemer. But there are others who are here this morning who are maybe hearing this kind of message for the first time. Maybe for the first time, they're hearing the message that there is someone who steps between us and God and says, this one belongs to me. And so, Father, I just would love to have the opportunity to introduce you, our Heavenly Father, to some people in our congregation today that want to know you and that want to embrace you and they want to receive your love and your forgiveness into their lives. So this morning, if, if that is you, if that's your heart, if you've never said yes to God, if you've never said, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, today I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to offer a prayer, and I would invite you to pray the same prayer after me in silence, in the quietness of your own heart. But if these words resonate with you, if you're feeling the Spirit of God moving in your heart to pray this prayer, just pray this, and open your heart to Jesus, your kinsman redeemer, and receive, receive his love. So here's that prayer. Dear Lord, I know that my life is broken. And I know that I can't save myself. I've tried so many times to do the right thing, to be the right person, and I keep on failing. So today, Lord, I ask you to be my redeemer. I ask your son, Jesus, who died for my sins on the cross, to save me. I invite Jesus to come into my life by faith, to be my Lord and my savior, to be my forgiver, my redeemer, and I invite him in right now at this very moment. And I thank you that Christ is in my life and he is alive. And so now with every head bowed and eye closed, I would just like to ask this question. If you prayed that prayer this morning to ask Jesus into your life, I would love to know that so that I can pray for you. So in a moment, I'm just gonna ask you to do one simple thing, no one else is looking around that you would just raise your hand and look at me.